Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Will you bring us together and we can share with each other how you have a personal relationship with each one of us. And we can share how you have worked, the blessings you have given with us, the safety you have provided for each one of us and how you have provided in difficult situations. So Lord, we ask we open our heart we, we hear the message today, and we make it part of all that we are and everything we do moving forward. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Frank will be bringing us the message today. Thank you, Frank. Okay, let's worship our Lord. How many here remember or can think of a, what a transformer is? Yeah. The toys. They're one thing, but yet they're transformed into something else. The way of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No person is meek by nature. We insist on our own way, even if we are mild-mannered by nature. And if anyone blocks our path, we react in hurt, anger, resentment, and even revenge. Now Moses was meek. But he was not meek, weak, excuse me, he was not meek by nature. God worked meekness into his life over a 40-year period. Peter certainly was not meek by nature, because he was impetuous and saying and doing the first thing that came into his mind. But little by little, the Holy Spirit of God transformed Peter after the resurrection of Jesus. And before his conversion, Paul was not meek. His job was to persecute the Christians. Yet Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, the fruit of the spirit is gentleness, goodness, and meekness. It is our human nature to be proud and self-assertive and not meek. Only the spirit of God can transform our lives into the new birth and through that new birth and make us into the image of him. He is our example of true meekness. The hope for today, teach me, Lord, to live for the one and not for number one. Help me overcome my human nature and yield to the Holy Spirit. I long to live in your image. Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Of our Lord, 
Jesus celebrate. Again. 
And our Old Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before the holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you. Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Say the Lord's Prayer with us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
whose reign shall never cease. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name. Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are our teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is give, to give generously, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If you take your bulletin, we have a responsive reading, or you all can just look at the screen and do that. <laughs> In my journey with you, may I never lose my sense of direction, never lose sight of the landmark toward which I travel. And should cloud or rain obscure my vision, may I draw closer to you, so that you, you, so that my feet may tread in your footsteps. Your words be my encouragement, and your love my protection against the storms that assail me. Let us pray. Our heavenly Father, the gifts we have. We know that they all come from you. Those, we know that everything belongs to you and that you have entrusted many things to us, Lord. And, but you call for us to give them back. And as we do so, let us do so freely. Let us do so with the hope and, the, and knowing that returning to you what is already yours, 
that you will use it the way you see that it needs to be used to further your kingdom. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Lord's good, isn't he? That's, uh, you know, I'm just thinking how, what a blessing it is that we can, uh, you know, we can meet together. I, you know, not being together for a while, I think, I at least put in me a desire and thanksgiving for being back together and being able to, you know, physically be together. It's, uh, it's really important. Well, this morning, I, I'm, uh, there's a passage, uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 9. So if you'd like to turn there, uh, actually, it's in your bulletin as well. Um, there's, a, there's an outline in your bulletin. So let's read that together. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. It's interesting to me that the way Paul does this, um, the book of Colossians is four chapters, and we've been covering, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and we did the first two chapters are theology. And then the second two chapters, starting with uh, an admonition to put Jesus first and seek him first, um, are focused on how we ought to live. And I think it's a, good, uh, it's a good pattern that right theology leads to right living. And, you know, you hear people sometimes say, well, you know, theology doesn't matter. It's just I, I want to live a good life. I want to be a good person and, and uh, I just want to, you know, I want to I <laughs> do what's right. I want to live a good life and so on. I want to be a good person. But the problem is that unless our theology is right, our actions and, you know, we've, we've seen a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of people with wrong theology and then they end up with wrong kinds of lifestyles. When we think right, we act right. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So we have to, as believers then, we need to get our minds renewed, and then we begin to, we can walk in God's ways. And that's what we're doing this morning, obviously. Um, a fellow whom I like very much, an author named Harry Blameyer, and he said this, he said that, 95% of high school graduates are relativists, okay? Um, they, and even, even uh, many Christians are in, in, you know, in their confession are Christians, but they live their lives as relativists without absolute values. And then he says, and then they become totally solidified in that relativism in college. Isn't that true? 
Uh, and I mean, I've watched it. You know, even kids coming from Christian schools, I've seen um, <clears throat> then become relativists. And it's really sad to see that. And the problem is that relativists believe that there is no God. Some do believe that there's a God. And therefore, there's no concept of what godly living is really like. Their concept of living for God is also relative, and God is absolute. And we see this. You know, we see this in all that's been happening with Antifa and all the, all the trouble that we've seen in the streets and so on and the riots and, and all the turmoil in our society, I believe, goes back to the, just an abandoning, abandoning of God as central. If God takes central place, then we will see good things happen. With right theology comes right living. So this text then is talking about our earthly nature. And in verse 5 it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, the earthly nature is, in different translations, sinful nature, the old self, the old man, the flesh. Uh, they're all synonymous terms. They are all translations of the Greek word sarx. And sarx can mean, you know, the flesh in terms of our flesh and body, and it can mean different things, but Paul uses it specifically to refer to our sinful nature. Um, Thayer's lexicon defines sarks as mere human nature, the earthly nature of man, apart from divine influence, and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. He goes on to say, it includes whatever in the soul is weak, low, debased, tending to ungodliness and vice. All right? So, the primary characteristics of the sinful nature then are first of all, and this is most important, and I think it's central to our, our sinful nature, is that it is a rebellion to God. It's a violation of our relationship with God. So the first thing is, you know, that it is, everything in our sinful nature is opposed to God. Secondly, that it's universal and absolute. Um, you know, the more travel that we do, and I, you know, one time, I grew up in basically in the uh, secular, in all secular education, all the way through a master's degree. I, I grew up in secular education, and I was, you know, I was a relativist, and I, I had this kind of idea in the back of my mind. I was an idealistic relativist, I guess you could say, and and I thought, you know, if that mankind is basically good. That, that, that was my, you know, that was my theology coming, coming, coming out of my childhood and, and even later on. And I thought, well, you know, if we could find innocent peasants uncorrupted by society, I'd find a good person. And that whole idea was, you know, if you, you, you peel off the onion and you get down to the core of who somebody is and they're good. They're basically good people. Everybody's good. Well, um, then I did a lot of traveling. <laughs> and I found it, that everybody is not good. <laughs> In fact, the, the, you know, you find that nice innocent peasant, and guess what? They're dealing with the same thing we're dealing with. They're dealing with a sinful nature. Third thing is that sin is at the core of who we are. Every, you know, every part of us, 
and, and the core of who we are is basically sinful. You peel off that onion, and what do you get? You get more onion. You know, it, it's, uh, we're, it's the core of who we are as unbelievers. But what Paul does in this verse is he contrasts the old self and the new self. We're going to pick up the new self in, in, uh, in verse 10. We'll pick that up next week. But let's look at this contrast. Do not lie to each other in verse 9. Since you have taken off your old self, okay, that's the old man, that sinful nature with its practices, and have put on the new self, okay, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So the three things about this contrast of the old self and the new self. The first is, and the first thing we need to realize about sin and the sinful nature is that it is absolutely opposed to the Spirit of God. Uh, Galatians 5.17 says this, For the sinful nature that sarks desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And then this phrase, They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. All right, so in other words, they are absolutely 180 degrees opposed to each other. They're in conflict. You can't pursue one without leaving the other. You can't pursue this sinful nature without leaving God, and you can't pursue God without leaving the sinful nature. Stott said this, John Stott, um, commentator, said this, The old was corrupt in the process of degenerating, on its way to ruin or destruction. The new has, be, has been freshly created after the likeness of God. The old was dominated by lusts, uncontrolled passions. The new has been created in righteousness and holiness. The lusts of the old were deceitful. The righteousness of the new is true. Thus, corruption and creation... Passion and holiness, deceit and truth are set in opposition to one another because they're diametrically opposed, indicating the total incompatibility of the old and the new. So your sinful nature, what you come out of into your relationship with Christ, is diametrically incompatible with the, that old, with the new nature. Now Jesus said it this way, in Matthew 9, neither do men pour new wine into new old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So Jesus is saying you can't, you can't put the new, that which is, uh, you know, has to do with this new walk with Christ, this new nature that we have, you can't pour that into the old man. Because two are diametrically opposed. Second thing, and this is really critical, nothing good dwells in our sinful nature. Romans 7, 18. <clears throat> I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So that old sinful nature, you know, um, many people will, will you know, try to reform the sinful nature or try to deal with it in some way, but... <laughs> The Bible says that nothing good lives in our sinful nature. That old man, that old self, and who we were before we became Christians. 
Third thing that's important is that without Christ, we are slaves to sin. Romans 6.6, 6. we know that the old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. <coughs> now, I think that's critical. Because what the Bible says, you know, what people say is, you know, I'm, I, I think I can kind of exist in this neutral zone. I don't want to pursue the things of God, but I don't like that old stuff either. And they, they, they think they can somehow adopt a middle road. And what the Bible says is, if you are not following Christ, if, he, if, if your eyes are not on Christ, <coughs> if you are not obeying that new nature, then you are a slave to sin. And those people, you know, so many people say, well, you know, I just, I don't want to be a slave to anybody. Well, sorry, the Bible says you are a slave to sin. If you're not a slave to Christ, you're a slave to sin. <coughs> it's an inconvenient truth, but it's true. Well, let's look at the list of sins in this passage. <coughs> Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, or the flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then skip down to verse 8. <coughs> but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So, um, one commentator, <coughs> excuse me, one commentator um, divides these into two categories. And I think this is really, uh, it's a good way to approach it. And he calls the first one desire sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. In other words, they're corrupted, they're corrupted desires. The second part is what he calls disunity sins. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and lying. Now, what's interesting to me about that, and I noticed this as I was researching, um, writing my books, that usually when we mention the word sin to people, what they think of is sexual sin. Um, and they immediately think, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in that. But what people don't realize is that about half of, of the sins that are listed in Scripture have to do with disunity or, or interpersonal relationships. So, I mean, you know, you look at the, uh, let me flip back to this. You look at these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips and lying. All of those things divide people, don't they? And you look at... Um, <coughs> <coughs> you look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning... Um, I'm sorry, beginning 5, 19 and following. And it talks about the acts of the sinful nature. And half of those, again, are sins of people not getting along with one another. So our sinful nature, we're by definition, we're not going to get along together. And it takes the, the remember last week when Randy, um, when um, Dave was talking 
about unity. And the only way that unity is going to come about is if we are led by the Spirit. Because the things of God unite us, bring us together. I have one. Thanks, John. (laughs) The things of the Spirit, the things that come from God, bring us together, not just as a church, as families, as couples, um, as whole society. Those kinds of things bring us together. The acts of the sinful nature separate us. So first thing we need to do is get our eyes on Jesus. We cannot change unless and until we put Christ first. The job of the Holy Spirit is our sanctification, changes the work of God, not human effort or not human will. Um, I was <coughs> this week, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Um, Galatians 5, 6, 19. Let me just read it. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. How many of those have to do with interpersonal relationships? So the sinful nature divides people from each other. God's spirit unites us with other people. All right, now, this this, um, passage then gives us three reasons we're to put to death the sinful nature. The first thing is that God's wrath is against these sins. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Okay, so that's really critical because, again, People who don't know Christ, don't have a relationship with Christ, they say, it's okay. I'm a good person, I'm all right, I'm going to heaven. And what the Bible says is, no, God's wrath remains on you if you reject the Son of God, if you do not follow Him, then God's wrath remains on you. Again, an inconvenient truth but very true. God loves us, but he hates sin. And if we're going to hang on to sin, then we're not going to hang on to God because the two are diametrically opposed. Second thing, this passage says, in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So that's the way we used to live. All of us grew up, until we come to Christ, we grew up, governed by, dictated by, slaves to our sinful nature, and that's, our, that, that's who we are. That's the state that we're in. Um, that in verse 9, in this message version, I love this, um, and it says this, don't lie to one another. You've done that with your old life, okay? That old life that we used to live. And then it says this, It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. I love that. I love that, you know, that kind of word picture. It's a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. You see, the problem is when we as believers are dictated by that sinful nature and obey the sinful nature, it's like an ill-fitting set of clothes. A filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. 
Because sin is no longer natural to us. If we come to Christ, sin is no longer natural to us. Just as the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, is unnatural to those who don't know Christ, so with us, sin is now unnatural to us. That's the problem. We used to walk in that way, but we don't walk that way anymore. 1 Peter 4, 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And then it says this. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. All right, so those who are looking at us, who are not believers, look at us and they say, I don't get it. Why, you know, why don't they do what they used to do? What's the matter with them? And they heap abuse on us because we no longer want to do the things that we used to do. We used to walk in that way, but we don't any longer. And the last thing is that we have a new family now. We are, um, when we put on that new self, we're part of a new family. And, and we don't, this family, in this family, that old sinful nature doesn't work anymore. I mean, that, that's not who we are. That doesn't define us anymore. We're part of a new family, and that new family has new customs. So there's, in view, is both individual and corporate sanctification. So let me go on here and talk about putting to death the sinful nature. Okay, there's three terms in here. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to sinful nature, verse 5. Verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. And then verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Okay, so all of them are a process then of taking off, putting away, uh, putting to death the, the, the acts of the sinful nature and then putting on the new self. So you have to ask the question, how do you know when somebody's dead? <laughs> I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking spiritual death here. I'm just talking physical death. How do you know when they're dead? Sue, you should know. No heartbeat. No heartbeat, yeah. No heartbeat is the no heartbeat and, and maybe no breathing, although you can have respirators. But, but uh, basically, when the heart stops, you're kaput, right? <laughs> I mean, you're done for, okay? And when it says put to death the sinful nature, what we are really doing is that we are putting sin to death when we give our heart to Christ. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're putting to death that old sinful nature because we have a new heart now. We have, our, Christ is in our heart. We have a new nature, a new heart, and we put to death the old by putting on the new. By putting on Christ... We're putting to death the sinful nature. When we are born again, our heart goes to another. We declare allegiance to God, and it puts to death our rebellious, sinful nature, which is against God. Fundamentally, our sinful nature is contrary to God and His will. So when we put to death our sinful nature, we say yes to God and decide in our heart to walk with Him. So, you know, I think, it's, I think it's interesting. We always talk about, you know, somebody gives their heart to Christ. 
But what we're really doing is, is we're saying, we are forming a new allegiance here. We are going after the things of God. We are, Christ now is our center. And that old self, that heart of this sinful nature, we're putting that to death. And because the two are diametrically opposed, when we turn from one to the other, we are automatically turning away from that old sinful nature. Now, it's not eradicated. When we become believers, we're still dealing with it. But every time that we turn toward God, and every time that we turn toward him in obedience and do what he wants us to do, we are saying we are putting to death that old sinful nature. We're saying no to it. And the only way to deal with it, because they are diametrically opposed, the spirit and the sinful nature, is to just put it to death. Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And this <clears throat> verb put here, put to death, is, is a present <clears throat> verb in the Greek. And what it means is that it's an ongoing process. We are constantly in the process, as believers, we are constantly in the process of putting to death the sinful nature and putting on Christ. Saying no to those things that once, that we, you know, that we once used to live and saying yes to the things of God. And the one, pursuing the one, puts to death the other. So, then how do we put to death our sinful nature? What, you know, practically, what are we talking about? Well, the first thing is, um, don't spend our energy trying to crucify our own sinful nature. All right, Christ already did that. And it's not up to you to try to put to death your own sinful nature. It's up to you to put on Christ, and Christ puts to death our sinful nature. When we pursue him, he puts to death our sinful nature. And, you know, and I see a lot of people, you know, worrying and spending a lot of time trying to get rid of their old sinful nature, trying to deal with those things instead of turning to Christ. So whenever we're, we're hung up in those things of the sinful nature, turn to Christ who has already put those things to death. Um, this, um, this last week, as I was preparing for this sermon, and I drove by uh, Collier School, Collier Elementary School, and it's on Bear Canyon Road, and so I always drive by it on our way, because we live at the end of Bear Canyon Road. And there's a sign on the fence, and it's been there for a long time, um, and it says, Be Kind. And I thought, well, you know, that's nice. I mean, it's nice that, that, you know, that they're emphasizing a character quality and saying to the kids, you know, be kind. And then I thought, you know what, though? The problem is that it also introduces in those same children a sense of frustration. Why? Because people want to be good people, but they can't do it without Christ. That's the problem. You can't be a good person without following Jesus Christ. Without a new nature, you can't live like you have a new nature. 
We as Christians are in the same boat as all of humanity, but Christ died to give us a second chance and to give us the power to say no to our sinful nature. You can't say no to your own sinful nature. You can say yes to Christ. And Christ will give you the power to deal with your own sinful nature. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them, to the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. So here's a mystery in the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the only hope that we have is that Christ dwells within us. Because Christ dwells within us, we have the power to do what he's asked us to do. You can't defeat the sinful nature by your own willpower or your own strength. That's Christ's job. Second thing we can do is live by the Spirit. If these two are diametrically opposed to us, <clears throat> then to, to put on the new man, we pursue after the things of the Spirit. We sow to the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We put our energy into living closely with Christ, living each day in communion with Christ. If we truly live with Christ, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's what it says. Live by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I think that's a really key verse. <clears throat> Let me read it again. Live by the Spirit, that is pursue after the things of God, Allow him to change you. Allow, your, allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in you. Live by the Spirit. Walk after the Spirit. Pursue the things of God. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. To change our actions without changing our worldview, our purpose in life, our motives, our attitudes, our love for the Lord is futile and short-lived. And love for the Lord, I'm sorry. It's futile and short-lived. We have to concentrate on the inside, not the outside. Jesus said it this way. Mark 7. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So Jesus always took people back to the inside. What's going on in the inside? Tim Keller said it this way, while Christianity was able to agree with pagan writers that inordinate attachment to earthly goods can lead to unnecessary pain and grief, it also taught that the answer to this was not to love things less, but to love God more than anything else. All right? Now that's really key. In other words, uh, if we're going to be trying to conquer greed in our lives, the answer is not to try to love things less, but to love God more. And as we love God more, we'll love things less. As we see him for who he is, then the things of earth, as it, as it, as it said, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And the last thing is allow God's Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Read now, the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's Spirit is transforming us into the image and likeness of Christ. What we are incapable of doing, God is gradually doing within us. That's the good news. 
You are incapable. It is totally impossible for you to do the things of God without God's Holy Spirit changing you, transforming you, making you different from the inside. Otherwise, it's just trying to create new habits and trying to do it yourself instead of allowing God to change you and make you into somebody different. Dallas Willard said it this way, spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Let me read that again. Spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus. Who we learn it from? We learn it from Jesus. How to be like Jesus. We're transformed into his likeness. We don't even know what a better person looks like, let alone how to get there without the leading and work of God's Holy Spirit transforming us into the image of Christ. God is not looking for better Christians who try harder, but for transformed Christians who look increasingly like Christ. So in conclusion then, Christ didn't come to introduce a whole new set of rules for godly living. He did that. But he came to give us the power we need to live the way that will bring satisfaction, joy, and purpose to our lives. A whole new way of life. That's what Jesus came to do. So, so just to say, okay, go put to death the acts of the sinful nature. Wait a minute, we can't do that. I can't do that. I don't know how to say no to my sinful nature. My sinful nature is far too strong and powerful for me just to say I'm going to turn it off. Rather, what I need to do, I get my eyes on Jesus. And I look to Jesus and I pursue the things of Jesus. And I find that through the transforming work of God's Holy Spirit, gradually, you know, day by day, hour by hour, I, I, I find that I'm doing more the things of God. And I'm changing from the inside out. We can't change from the outside in. We've got to change from the inside out. God bless you. Because he lives.
us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we have that sinful nature, and we know that when we came to you, you would forgive us. And Lord, let us, let us get closer to you every day, because that sinful nature is there. But we know, Lord, if we put our faith and our trust in you, that you will guide us, you will provide for us, and you will be there for us, Lord. So let us put away all those sinful nature things and be the people that you want us to be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> God.